Today, you get to hear from Morgan Atkins, who is a third and fourth grade teacher in Rochester, New York. She worked at a charter school in Rochester for three years, where she began her career focused on closing the achievement gap. And then she pivoted her career slightly when she left the charter school to work at a small private Jewish day school in Rochester. Although Morgan is not Jewish, she loved the idea of having more freedom in the classroom and creating an education that was more focused on values and morals. She is currently also the head of the general studies department there, where she helps plan events and lead teachers in their creation of curricular scope and sequence documents. I got to meet Morgan when I had the privilege of becoming her instructional coach, and I can tell you she is brilliant and incredibly dedicated to honing her craft. I actually nominated her to present at a showcase in Maryland where she presented on a structure for planning focused on student needs, roadblocks, and reflection. And now Maureen is inspired by her passion to improve education through an emphasis on social-emotional learning. Let's dive in. I'm Lindsay Lyons, and I love helping school communities envision bold possibilities, take brave action to make those dreams a reality, and sustain an inclusive, anti-racist culture where all students thrive. I'm a former teacher leader turned instructional coach, educational consultant, and leadership scholar. If you're a leader in the education world, whether you're a principal, superintendent, instructional coach, or a classroom teacher excited about school-wide change like I was, you are a leader. And if you enjoy nerding out about the latest educational books and podcasts, if you're committed to a lifelong journey of learning and growth and being the best version of yourself, you're going to love the Time for Teachership podcast. Let's dive in. Morgan, welcome to the podcast. Would you like to introduce yourself however you wish to introduce yourself to our audience today? Yes. Thank you, Lindsay. I'm really honored to be talking with you. Um, education is my absolute passion, and I love your platform around shared leadership and educational equity, especially with the year that we've had. So it's really critical and your ideas were so incredible when you coached me. So I'm just really inspired by you and I'm really happy to be here. So a little bit about me um, within the field of education, I've recently developed a focus on social emotional learning in the classroom because of how important of a role I've seen mental health play in the classroom. And my students who are anxious or who have low self-esteem or they don't have the skill set to manage or cope with their emotions really struggle to learn at their fullest potential. And so because I noticed these things, I worked really hard to put social emotional learning at the forefront. And because of that, I built amazing relationships with my students and coworkers and I've really been able to help my students grow in their academics just because of the environment and the culture that we've created. So I really want American educators to not just talk about social emotional learning as an extra added layer or as this new buzzword, but really understand that it's where we have to start when educating students. And so while my teaching career has certainly been an interesting and diverse experience, I, I wouldn't change it at all because these experiences have helped me really hone in on where I want to focus my impact on education moving forward. Awesome. Thank you for just diving right into to your passions and your excitement around SEL. I'm actually, I was working this morning on a, 
a chapter for a book around um, white liberalism and thinking about kind of what you were saying around SEL being more than just an add-on. Like we have to critique the structures. We have to think about how is education contributing to the challenges that students face and, and all this stuff. And it, it reminds me of the quote that I always start this podcast with from Bettina Love, where she talks about freedom dreaming as dreams grounded in the critique of injustice. And so I'd love to just hear a bit more about that dream that you hold for education. Yes, I really love this idea of freedom dreaming. Uh, I know that Bettina states that education can't save us and we have to save education. And that is just so powerful because it couldn't be any closer to the truth. Things really do need to change. And for one, education needs to reach all students, not just white children. And this year I was able to pilot an anti-racist curriculum around the history of racism here, right here in Rochester, New York. And it's honestly my students' favorite thing to learn because it's unfortunately so foreign to them, but they are really, really moved by these injustices and they get fired up and we have really amazing discussions and I can see that they want a different future too. And I think that there's power in not focusing on closing the achievement gap, but on educating our children around the history and the current reality for all people of our nation. And the thing is, how many classrooms are having these conversations and lessons? Probably not all, so it's not enough. And the effects of systemic racism have a direct impact on the mindset of students and the way that teachers and students build learning partnerships in the classroom. So I do feel like there's this direct connection because from what I've seen in education currently, teachers are just trying to survive and that's not just because of the pandemic this culture of survival isn't going to help teachers change their teaching to better reach all students and to join this movement of educational equity. So many teachers, you know, they're tired and they're just trying to get by and something really needs to change. A teacher's energy ultimately drives their classroom. And so social emotional learning starts with teachers and we can't change our students or the future if we don't first change ourselves. So my big dream is that education will give opportunities to all children. And part of this is putting mental health at the forefront. And my dream is that schools will blend social emotional learning with academics and make it an important piece of the puzzle. So I think that our future depends on these children. And I, I ask myself like, what kind of future do we want? And if we wanna enact change, it starts with us as educators, which is so powerful. How can we shape the experience our students have in school to help develop this future for themselves and for one another? I love that on so many levels, just that that SEL for teachers, which is totally necessary. And I think to myself as a teacher, there were so many moments, I think I've spoken about this before on the podcast where we would do a 30 second or 60 second mindfulness routine. And it was for me as much as the students, like I I needed that breath as well as them. (laughs) And so that's, that's so critical as well as kind of that parallel process that it seems like you're talking about too, of just kind of being introspective and as a teacher being like, what do I need as well as what do my students need? What do I need so I can show up as well as I can as my best self for my students? Because otherwise they're not going to get what they need to get out of out of the lesson or, or just being in school. Exactly. 
And so I know that that you've said you've had a passion for SEL. I know in working with you, uh, you've talked about mindfulness um, for youth as a passion of yours as well. Could you just talk a little bit about how you became interested in this topic? Yeah, so I joined a charter school after I graduated from my undergrad. I attended undergraduate school in in Buffalo, and I was just so passionate about education in the inner city because I knew that students deserved better. And I was intrigued by this charter school because of their mission. It was around closing the achievement gap for low-income students in Rochester, primarily students of color. And at this school, I saw the benefits of structure to maximize the amount of instructional time students spend in the classroom. But to me, I just felt like something was missing. Students didn't love school or themselves. And I was frustrated to see the low confidence and motivation in the students and also just the lack of joy. So it was apparent how this affected their drive in school and ultimately how impactful this instructional time was for students. So I didn't fully agree with the strict behavior management system that was being used there as it, it just didn't really fully consider each student's needs. So ultimately I left that school and I went to a whole different school where I knew I had the freedom to choose the right behavior management system for my students or for each student really. And I created the classroom that I would want to be in. And it's calm, it's structured, emotions are not pushed away. And there are just these immense moments of joy and gratitude daily. So I started seeing, however, that students and teachers were really stressed and we want to improve, we want to be better, you know, we're teachers, but we also can't do that if we don't fill up our own cup, you know, as you were saying before. So there's so much put on teachers and students today. Students, they have to go to up to, they have to learn up to like nine or 10 subjects and code switch each day. And that's a lot. And teachers are wearing a lot of different hats and I've felt these feelings. So I felt the stress. So I began my mindfulness journey um, when I started feeling that pressure and that stress in my last year at the charter school. So I downloaded some apps where everybody sometimes starts such as Calm and Headspace to try to deal with that stress. And my sister actually works in health and fitness in California. So she introduced mindfulness to me. And I just, I couldn't believe the way it was changing my life, like slowly, but also dramatically. So I knew I had to bring it to my classroom and my relationships were changing. And so was my mindset. And my students rarely have outbursts in the classroom. There's this, this culture of respect and support. And we start every day mindfully. And students know that they will have or they can take those moments to pause whenever needed. So gradually, I became more interested in the way that it was transforming my classroom. So it became my mission to learn more and spread it to other classrooms. And this remains a, a huge part of my mission. So this past year, I took classes from mindful schools and also the Institute for Jewish Spirituality around teaching mindfulness to youth. And since then, I've just jumped on every opportunity to learn more. That's so great that you're talking about 
two big things here that I want to name. One is pushing back on the idea of that really strong structure that sometimes we think is like, oh, this is good for kids, but is it really? And that kind of behavioral management as like punitive punishment and all of that stuff. I know like that is really common. And like you said, the, in charter schools specifically, there are many who have been critiqued for not serving their students. So I, I admire you for pushing back against that and, and kind of creating this different space that is restorative and grounded in mindfulness and individualization of, of student joy, which is so cool and something Bettina Love talks a lot about. So that's, that's a really great uh, connection again there. And then I also love that you're modeling, really honoring that you as a person are also a learner. Like even though you're a teacher, you're a learner, you're constantly learning. And not only are you learning as an individual, you're bringing that in and showing your students what you're learning and modeling the behavior that you're asking them to exemplify in your class yourself. And I think that's super cool. I'd love to ask you to talk a little bit more about that mindfulness for teachers as well as students. I know you talked about it a little bit at the intro. Could you say a little bit more about what you mean by that or what that looks like? Yeah. So I, I really, just like you're saying, like, I think that the best teachers model what they want to see, which, you know, it, it, it's, it's a big role, but it's such an important one. And I believe that teachers can't really teach or have a mindful classroom if they aren't really practicing that mindfulness themselves. It's just not really authentic. So I am by no means a perfect example of a mindful teacher, but it is a part of my daily routine and my rituals. It's a huge part of my life and really my most empowering and raw and beautiful mindfulness lessons in the classroom have been where I just sit in silence with my students and I used to, when I first started bringing it into the classroom, watch them do mindfulness to give me that data or to see if it was working. And now I just sit and do the meditation with them. And like you said, it, it shifts your day. It's, it's maybe selfish, but it's for you too. And the biggest effect I've seen with mindfulness is that it allows teachers, students, and all people who practice it to choose thoughtful responses instead of impulsive reactions. And so what I mean is that a reaction is different than a response. And for teachers that can really, really transform how you interact with your students, especially challenging behavior. So when you practice mindfulness, it creates this space for you to respond instead of just boom, react. So to me, it really, this is really urgent work. And I learned a lot in my mindful schools classes around some of the current statistics that are really astounding and slightly scary. So I know one thing they said was 50% of educators leave the profession within five years for, for many reasons that we've talked about. And research shows that mindfulness for teachers has reported greater efficacy in their jobs. They had more emotionally supportive, more better organized classrooms. And then research for students who are practicing mindfulness shows that it improved attention, executive function, greater social and emotional skills. And those can be like emotion regulation, behavior, empathy. So students also had lower test anxiety, lower stress, lower post-traumatic symptoms and depression, which we know is really, really relevant today. So because of these things, a big part of my mission is mental health. And when I started practicing mindfulness, I wished that I had been introduced to it when I was younger. A lot of emotions that I deal with today 
are a direct result of not learning effective coping skills as a child. And I think that every adult has gone through a time where they know that they can improve their human experience and they can change something in their life or about themselves or you know, their perspective. And I wanna give this ability to shift a mindset to my students. And I wanna give them that tool to cope with their emotions and past, current, or future trauma. And I think that adults deserve that too. And that's why I love being a teacher because just as my students are transforming, like, like you said, I, I've been transforming as well. And it's, it's this amazing kind of cycle. And I think that my students know that I'm constantly learning and we share this space together, which is like so beautiful. I, I, I get emotional, but teachers who are vulnerable and they take the time to better themselves will be better teachers. And so that's why I think that a teacher who embarks on this um, is going to see really positive results. But, you know, a lot of teachers are struggling right now and they don't know where to start or they don't have a school or a district that's supportive of this, this growth, this critical area. So I really want to spread resources, curriculum, effective ways to help schools and teachers really change that trajectory um, so that they can have this joy themselves. I love that you bring that up because I think that's something that you excel in and we'll talk about this in a moment, but just being able to, um, you know, be your instructional coach, which is how we, we met. I was able to see just so many strategies that you researched and then brought to your classroom and implemented and adapted to meet the needs of your individual students that I know you've taken a ton of steps yourself to create this culture. And so do you mind just sharing a few tips, strategies, steps that teachers could take to kind of do what you've been doing to create that environment in your class? Yeah, definitely. For an educator to embark on this, they, they have to start with themselves. And so I started with mindfulness for myself. And I think that educators should just begin to kind of explore these topics on their own. So a great place to start is by just beginning a mindful practice themselves, um, you know, taking time on like a winter break or just on the weekends or summer, it's like gives you that chunk to really like start this journey. But I started with the applications that I mentioned, like Calm and Headspace, they're a great way to start. They have, you know, just like two minute videos or two minute meditations that you can listen to. And they offer resources for kids and for youth as well. And you can also look into educational resources or websites like Mindful Schools. They also have classes and mindful.org. I've also taken a course in Ziva meditation, which was really, really transformative for me personally. This taught me how to meditate without sounds or using an app and just using myself. So that one combines mindfulness, meditation, and manifesting and kind of this process. There's also so many ways to explore these topics for free at no cost. So you can go to YouTube or just do a simple Google search um, of teaching mindfulness in schools. And a lot of children's educational sites are starting to incorporate mindfulness videos for students, such as Go Noodle, which is really, really awesome. And I also think that professional development opportunities are great. And I've led teachers at my school in several mindfulness professional development sessions, but this is also something that leaders can implement as well. School leaders and our schools have a responsibility for this too. And they can lead teachers or they can hire outside contractors to lead professional development sessions. Um, 
However, this is just a start. I really think that practice needs to be consistent. So my goal is that schools can transform their learning environments by making social emotional learning a part of everyday teacher expectations. I think that teachers get observed, they use rubrics, they use evaluation formats, and there's always like a spot for student relationships, but rarely is social emotional learning blended in to the academic learning categories. And New York State actually has mental health standards, but they're rarely ever brought up often. So many schools have these like formats in their school for character building, like respect and kindness and things like that. But oftentimes emotions aren't ever really brought into play. So I think that our youth are going out into the world and they don't know how to manage their emotions or deal with trauma or focus their attention on one thing. And so this is why it's such urgent work. And I think that small steps are better than no steps and just starting to explore the topic and teachers can take like five minutes each day just to, to take that pause with their students. One of the things that I love that you mentioned too is that accountability element where you as a teacher, you know, you are being assessed on your practice. And so if that rubric, that Danielson framework that, you know, whatever is being used, isn't taking into account the student experience or the SEL skill set, it sends a message to teachers that this isn't actually a priority. We're just saying it would be a nice to have rather than a need to have. And I think that's so important when we think about as leaders and, and leadership instructional coaches, when we think about measuring the effectiveness of a strategy, it's so important. And I think you do this so well as a teacher um, to be able to ask your students, to be able to say, how are you doing? To be able to take in a variety of perspectives, not just kind of your own opinion of, oh, it, it seems like they're quiet, they're good, right? <laughs> and like thinking about how you measure that is so important. So important. And speaking of instructional coaching, as I mentioned before, we met because I had the pleasure of being your instructional coach. And it was absolutely just a joy every single time we met. I feel like it was a glorious brainstorm of beautiful ideas and just inspiration that I got from you. So I know you have been thinking about instructional leadership and, and being a leader yourself, perhaps an instructional coach even. So I'd love to get you to share a little bit about why you are interested in instructional coaching, maybe the value that it holds for educators. Feel free to share about your experience. I'm just curious about what that was like for you and why you're interested in it moving forward. Yes. And I totally agree. When, when you were my coach, it was like so exciting. These ideas, it was just like, boom, boom, boom. I'm like, wow. So <laughs> I totally feel that. But I started receiving instructional coaching um, in the form of observation and feedback. It was called ONF when I worked at the charter school. And I really loved being able to quickly see my teaching skills improve when we focused on these bite-sized action steps. So at my current school, we began getting coaching using Better Lesson, and that's when I met you. And I loved having like an outsider's perspective on my teaching. And I also loved that Better Lesson has the try, measure, learn model, because I think that it took a little bit of that pressure off that I felt in previous experiences when being coached. So we were able to have these like amazing reflections and also just try out and know it's just, we're just trying it out. These awesome tools and techniques and students and parents definitely could feel those shifts and those effects as well. So I think that 
teachers are definitely on this journey of like always improving. But as I stated before, you know, right now teachers are really tired and they need to feel appreciated. So coaching is more important, I think now than ever, but teachers are really fragile and they're in survival mode. So I think that we have to create coaching models that work and take mental health into account. So teachers need to be celebrated, but also supported in all aspects. So if you take Castle's framework and Castle's the collaborative for academic, social and emotional learning, their framework for SEL is self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, relationship skills and responsible decision-making. I think that administrators should be supporting teachers in these areas in the classroom in addition to just academic content as we were talking about before because teachers will not just see that their students transform but also themselves and this will i think keep experienced and talented teachers in the profession which is so important and coaches should be providing resources and support and this important piece of the puzzle. So I really, I really think that that's something that would be really, really interesting to think about. And I also love the idea of virtual coaching experiences because I think it allows teachers to receive coaching in this really flexible and effective format. And I also love that it connects educators from afar for collaboration purposes. I've also been a tutor for the last couple of years outside of school. And when COVID-19 happened, we started tutoring virtually. And I saw that it could be just as effective and super convenient for people's busy lives today. So I think there's so many options. And as a leader myself, one of my favorite parts has been sharing ideas and really like collaborating with other teachers. Um, when I became head of the department at my school, I felt really inspired to lead my team and not just help them with their teaching, but also their mental health. So we start every meeting with glows or what I like to call something positive or going well, or we start with gratitude, something we're grateful for. And even just that can really change somebody's day. So I'm really excited about helping educators become better and in, in all areas of their life, really. I love that. Thinking about a couple of things I wanted to just name reminded me actually, and you know, Roman, but the first, we were just talking about the first episode of this podcast is a podcast episode with Roman as a guest. And he talks a lot about that same thing that you're talking about, that idea of low stakes coaching, particularly during a pandemic that is mindful of teachers' needs and teachers' feelings of a little bit of flailing, I think this year. I think we're all feeling a bit like we're flailing. <laughs> and, and I think that's so important when we think about low stakes. One of the things he said was having teachers name what their goals are. And I think starting with that vision created by teachers themselves, even if it is like mental health and not actually about student outcomes right away. I think that's so important. And, and I love that you mentioned that even if you don't have an instructional coach that is working full-time at your physical school, there's an opportunity to receive virtual coaching either from an organization or external consultant or someone. So yeah. if a leader is listening to this thinking, well, we don't have instructional coaches, I would say finding an outside organization is a great opportunity as well as doing some peer coaching or lifting up some educators who do have a handle on virtual teaching and saying, would you like to mentor or coach to be able to just drop in someone's Zoom classroom and, and offer some pointers or just to hear what their goals are and be able to support them and invite them into you know, their classroom to observe. There's so much potential here. And I love that you brought that up. 
it doesn't have to look one way. It can look a lot of different ways. Personalized. Yeah, exactly. Personalized. Yes. Just like we do for students, we can personalize education for teachers. Yeah. So as we think about kind of a, a final call to action, if listeners have been hearing the load of ideas that you have shared, so you've shared tons of things, apps, strategies, key ideas, or mindset shifts around SEL and not using it as an add-on, um, key ideas around what instructional coaching could be. What is one thing, if listeners are just taking one tiny thing away from this episode, what is something that they can do to live in alignment with the things you've been talking about and really be the best version of themselves to their class? Yeah, I would say it might sound really simple. If you aren't already doing it, I would say journal, like journal, 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 journal. I tell everybody to journal. Um, it's not directly aligned with mindfulness, but it really helps with a mindfulness practice. And it's a simple step you can take. And as an educator, journaling can be really powerful to release emotions, reflect on gratitude, like you were saying, changing your mindset and thinking about what's going well, giving yourself some credit. And I guess my biggest piece of, of advice would be specifically starting a gratitude journal, writing down three things you're grateful for at the start of the, the day or the end of the day or both. And watch that those three things will turn into 10 things. And, you know, some days I write really silly things like I'm grateful for tacos or just a specific thing that a student said to me. Um, I also have my students do gratitude journals as well. And it's just like such a positive add on to the classroom, but really life is about the little things. And I've been journaling so much that now I'm thinking about writing a book because there's just so much coming out. So I think that journaling could help anybody and not just educators. And I love that it can flow into something else. Like you're saying, I love the idea of you writing a book. I'm so excited to hear more about this. And I think sometimes journaling turns up things or ideas or projects that we never would have thought about had we not started. And I also love that you're talking about modeling this with students too. And so I think about in my classroom, we did not do gratitude journals, but we did uh, circles a lot. We did circle practice like every day. One of the circles we would do was turn to your left and we'd pick a direction, whatever day it was, turn to your left and tell the person sitting on your left, what are you grateful for about them, specifically about them? And so every student got to hear something that was nice about themselves. And we used to use value posters so that if someone couldn't think of something or it was early in the year and they didn't really know someone, they could pick from the list of values. Oh, you're very compassionate or, you know, you demonstrate a lot of joy. You make me laugh, you know, whatever it is that might start small, but yeah, it's so worth it for students to be able to one, express that gratitude and two, for someone to be able to hear what someone else loves about them. As we're thinking about leaving people with all this learning, I know that you are a learner. So I'd love to hear about something that you've either been learning about, thinking about, maybe a, a book or a podcast that you've been listening to lately. What's something that's been on your mind recently? Oh my gosh. So I love so many podcasts. I, I don't even know where to start with podcasts, but there's one book this year that really, really sticks out to me. Um, my absolute favorite book, it's called Untamed by Glennon Doyle. I read it this summer and it truly made me look deep at like what I want out of my life and help me follow my passion. And I think for educators, it can just like reinstate that. And I was 
already kind of on this spiritual journey of healing, but her book made me dive even deeper. And I was just so glued to it. So I believe that I just was like a different teacher and person after reading that book. So she's a really awesome person and I'm probably going to read it numerous times, but it's definitely a book that I would recommend for, for everybody. We can do hard things, right? That's from that book. Yes. And I heard that she's actually going to be writing a children's book called, yes, called We Can Do Hard Things. I saw because, you know, I'm following up on her and I'm like, yes, this is amazing. This is what children need. So I'm really, really excited. Oh my gosh. I love that. And it reminds me of so many other books too, that they've written, authors have written for adult audiences. And then they're like, oh, wait, children could totally use this, right? And so um, Ibram Kendi actually, who wrote How to Be an Anti-Racist is has like a, a baby book or a children's book out about this too. And it's like, yes, we need to be having these conversations at young ages. So yeah. this makes me very excited that she's writing a children's book. Yeah. So Morgan, where can listeners learn more about you, connect with you, kind of watch as you do amazing things in the education world? Yeah, so you can find me just by looking up my name, Morgan Atkins on LinkedIn. You can find me there, connect with me. I would love to hear about anybody who's been using any of these tips and tricks or getting into mindfulness. So you can find me there. Awesome. Thank you so much, Morgan. This was a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you. It's an honor. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening, amazing educators. If you loved this episode, you can share it on social media and tag me at Lindsay Beth Lyons or leave a review of the show so leaders like you will be more likely to find it. To continue the conversation, you can head over to our Time for Teachership Facebook group and join our community of educational visionaries. Until next time, leaders, continue to think big, act brave, and be your best self. Thank you.